of the digital download. I'm Kate Hamer. I run a marketing and digital consultancy, Kate Hamer Limited. I've worked in large brands like Unilever, Disney and L'Oreal for over 15 years and a decade of that in digital. And I know how tricky it can be to keep up to date with the fast moving world of digital. So this podcast will hopefully help you out by giving you a summary of the past week's news. And I'll also be discussing key topics in the industry. Thanks to everyone who has downloaded it. Do subscribe, do leave a review. Uh, Thanks again to all those of you who send me feedback. Hopefully it continues to improve based on that. Keep it coming. I say it every week, but I want this to be your podcast. So do tweet me at katehamerltd or email kate at katehamer.com with any questions you've got, any topics you'd like me to cover so that I can make sure that I'm really tailoring this podcast to suit you guys. So I had a week off last week. I was at the finals of the Euros in Paris. I was actually being an influencer from the other side because I'd won a competition with Hisense, the electronics manufacturer, to go out there and I had to do challenges each day against a competitor team Uh, You may have seen on my Twitter my keepy-uppy attempts, which were pretty poor. I also had to learn and sing the French national anthem. But basically, people were voting every day, thanks to any of you who voted. And I won with 51.39% of the votes, so very similar to the EU referendum. And I am expecting my 55-inch television to be delivered next week. Slightly scared that I have nowhere to put it. Um, I think it's going to be huge, but we will see. Anyway, without further ado, let's get into the events of the last couple of weeks and get you all up to date. Obviously, it's been another terrible week in terms of world events, and my thoughts are with all of us everywhere, basically, in this race that is human, and uh, hope that there is a way to solve all of this terrible fighting and fear that is happening around the world but this is a digital podcast and so I will stay on topic and I think obviously the terrible things that have happened in the last week have highlighted even more just how integrated digital channels and tools are into our lives whether it's hashtags uh, rising up like Portuvet during the Nice attack and the Facebook safety check-in obviously during the coup in Turkey the Prime Minister was using FaceTime to communicate people were using Periscope videos to show exactly what was happening I'm not necessarily sure whether this is all a good thing. I think we're probably exposed to far more news than we've ever been. And that with that comes a lot of miscommunication and rumour and panic that perhaps we don't need. But it does mean that there is the power in everybody's pocket in their mobile phone to be able to communicate and let people know what's happening, which I think is a good thing. So I would just say be careful in terms of who you're retweeting and who you're following on all the different platforms. Make sure you've got some news organisations in there that you know have got the right sort of people on the ground. On a lighter note, I'm recording this on World Emoji Day, the 17th of July. Um, emoji is the fastest growing language 
with 80% of Brits saying that they use them. Talk Talk have done a mobile study with 2,000 users and a linguistics professor at Bangor University to look at how emoji are being used. 62% are saying that they use emoji more now than they did a year ago. And four in 10 people say they've sent messages made up entirely of emoji. And part of the reason that it's such a successful language is it's almost universally recognisable. So it's not necessarily going to replace traditional languages, but it is going to enhance them and it will definitely be an increasing part of digital communication as we continue into the future. 29% of Brits use emoji in at least half of all text, instant messaging and social media communications. Not surprisingly, the younger generation are the fastest adopters, so 18 to 25 year olds. 72% say they find it easier to express their emotions with emoji than with words. Over 40s, um, over half of them, 54% admit to having been confused about what the symbols mean. I had that with someone recently because I use the teethy smile thing to be mega excited and someone else uses it to be really annoyed. So that's there's still room for confusion with emoji. But uh, there's some interesting stats in terms of the most used emojis around the world. The link to this is on the companion page, but rather... Sadly, for the UK, US and Canada, our most used emoji is the one with the mouth open, sort of despairingly wailing with sadness. So that isn't great. The top tweeted food emoji is cake. Um, lots of other stats that you can link to. And do check out EmojiTracker.com, which shows in real time all the emoji as they're being used. Right, on to the different areas of social media. Facebook have released a white paper on reach. So this is something that marketers have debates about. Obviously reach organically has gone down on Facebook and you really need to be using paid media, but it is a real worthwhile channel in terms of the way that you can get to your target audience. But what's interesting, and it's something that I think marketers have suspected for a while, but it's good to see it in their white paper, is that actually going for a broader reach can be more cost effective and can be better for your business results than trying to really narrow in on a small target audience. Because although it might be more precise, if you think about it in terms of if you've got an audience of 10 people and you get a 12% uplift from that versus an audience of 100 people and you get an 8% uplift on that, you're obviously better to go for a broader audience. So again, the link is on the companion page to the full white paper. Check it out if that's something that you use in your channel mix. But definitely reach is still really key in terms of getting results for your business. On to Snapchat, old people or old people, I mean, over 35, I am one of those said old people are starting to use Snapchat more. So according to the Wall Street Journal, 14% of US smartphone users over 35 are now using Snapchat. And that was only 2% three years ago and 70% of all smartphone users are on Snapchat. Even Michelle Obama has joined recently, so everybody's getting in on the act. But I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's obviously still a real strong place for teens, but as more people come on, potentially with more disposable income, that's not necessarily gonna be a bad thing for brands. On to Twitter. 
So they have announced a partnership with CBS News to live stream coverage from the Republican and Democratic National Conventions on Twitter. So they'll be using the CBS News reporting team. The stream will be live on Twitter every day. They'll have convention-related tweets, extra information. So really good following on from their deal with the NFL. They're really focusing on live content, which is obviously at the very core of what the Twitter platform's about in terms of what's happening now, whether it's in your life or in the world. So look out for that. Another thing on Twitter is there's a nice interview in Creative Review. The link, again, is on the companion page with the designer of the Twitter emoji, Emma Hopkins. So talking about the way that they add emojis to hashtags to give more of a visual incentive for people to use them. So brands are increasingly doing this now. You will have seen AbFab the movie, for example, as a hashtag recently. And definitely something worth considering for your campaigns. I do think it's a shame that they disappear after the event, though. I've just been preparing some content for a client next week and was trying to go back and screenshot some examples of brand hashtags or event hashtags. And Euro 2016, for example, now doesn't show the cup emoji anymore. So top tip, if you do anything like that or if you just notice stuff that you think is interesting, screenshot it straight away because it doesn't stay forever. That's it in terms of social media for this week. In terms of messaging apps, Apple have released four animated sticker packs to use with iMessage. So one of smileys, hearts, hands, and then a classic Mac one. You can only download them at the moment if you're on iOS 10. So unless you're on the beta, you'd need to wait for that. But showing that they're clearly thinking stickers are going to be a huge thing with this new development to the iMessage app within iOS and they're getting in first and creating some. I think other people will be able to create sticker packs that can be downloaded as well. So again, going back to the emoji thing at the start of the show, images are increasingly important. In terms of Facebook Messenger, they are testing a new feature that lets you set a timer for conversations to disappear. So it's called Secret Conversations and it encrypts messages end-to-end -end from both the sender and the recipient. And then you can set a timer for how long you want the message to exist and it will disappear completely after that. So examples that they're giving of why you might want to use it is if you've got to send someone your social security number or something like that. Uh, again, quite interesting in terms of having control over what you send. Presumably, you're not going to be able to legislate against screenshots, but it'll be interesting to see how that develops and what sort of uptake they get. On to e-commerce. eBay have acquired a company called Sales Predict, which is a learning engine that uses order history to suggest new items you might want to buy well suited for marketing, targeting, that kind of thing. Initially, Industry press were saying that it was to compete better with Amazon potentially, although a statement from their vice president and general manager of structured data said, sales predicts deep expertise in predictive analytics and machine learning will contribute to eBay's structured data efforts. For our buyers, it will help us better understand the price differentiating attributes of our products. And for our sellers, it will help us build out the predictive models that can define the probability of selling a given product at a given price over time. So it sounds like it's going to be very useful for people that are trying to sell things through eBay and give them more context to the way that they're selling their products. Again, watch this space. And speaking of Amazon, they had Amazon Prime Day last week, their second one that they've done and their biggest day for the company. Some stats in terms of 
US sales, they sold 200,000 headphones, 14,000 Lenovo laptop. Their top three Prime Day deal titles purchased or rented were Deadpool, Kung Fu Panda 3, and 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. For the UK, the top selling item was the Oral-B cross-action electric toothbrush with Bluetooth connectivity. Not sure why you need Bluetooth connectivity for a toothbrush. I certainly don't want blue teeth. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll work on my material. In Japan, the top selling product was an 800 gram box of breakfast cereal. In Germany and Austria, it was a Jamie Oliver frying pan. And in France and Belgium, it was Game of Thrones DVD seasons one to four. So it seems household basics that you were probably going to buy anyway were the best sellers on that day. And then gadgets, I think Amazon Fire did particularly well during the day as well. It's quite interesting to see brands creating events though and not just relying on key sales periods like Christmas or Mother's Day or Father's Day. You know, creating your own branded event to still get that spike of sales is a good way to manage your own sales patterns. On to some news from different brands that I've seen this week. City, the banking group, has started to roll out voice biometrics authentication for its 15 million Asian banking customers in Taiwan, Australia, Hong Kong and Singapore. This apparently cuts the verification time down from 45 seconds to 15 seconds because you don't have to be entering the second digit of your password and that kind of thing. And because your voice has so many different things that make it unique to you, it's vastly superior as a way to verify someone versus even their fingerprint. And they expect that this sort of verification is going to roll out over the coming years across not just banking, but all kinds of different places. So you need to make sure you don't lose your voice. Now, I couldn't do this week's podcast without talking about Pokemon Go. I think the whole world is talking about it. It launched officially in the UK on Thursday last week, but people have been downloading it through various loopholes on the US and Australian apps for probably the last week. So for those of you who don't know, it's an app that uses GPS and your phone's camera to hunt for Pokemon out in the real world. So there are people that are being quite cynical about it. I've got friends on Facebook who are getting annoyed already by people talking about it. But from my point of view, I think it's pretty good. So firstly, I was speaking to my friend's sister on Friday and she'd walked eight miles in the last two days just catching Pokemon. So she decided to walk to her sister's house rather than drive there just so that she could catch them. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing if people are getting out in the world and getting some fresh air and walking around. I also saw someone tweeting saying the people that are complaining about this being so childish are the same people that have been trying to get you to play Candy Crush with them on Facebook for years. So that was uh, quite entertaining. There's also some reports from people saying that it's helping with social anxiety because it's giving people a reason to go outside, something to focus on and go out in the world. So that is obviously a great thing. There have been some downsides. There was an instance where some armed robbers had created a beacon so that they were actually getting their victims to come to them. There have been people who have been hospitalised because they've walked into walls because they weren't watching where they were going or vehicles have crashed and stuff. So obviously, if you're playing it, pay attention to where you are. Keep looking up. But I think out in the parks and stuff, 
it's a great game. It's been amazing for Nintendo. Their shares have gone up 90% within eight days of the app launching and it's powered them into the top 20 companies in Japan and that's before it had even launched in Japan. They're saying that it could be the first smartphone game to generate $4 billion in annual revenue, which would eclipse Candy Crush, whose record was $2 billion. It's already been installed on over 5% of active Android devices in the US, so it's more popular than Tinder. It's got more daily active users than Twitter already. And in terms of time that people are spending in the app, it's around 43 minutes, so that's even greater than time sync apps like Instagram on Android. It got to the top of the app store chart in four and a half hours, which is a record. And it's already the fifth top grossing app in the US. So it's already above Clash of Clans and Candy Crush. And that was just a day after it had launched. So it's had a huge amount of success. And there's some great things that companies are doing already. So the future plan is that you will be able to sponsor locations to drive traffic to your store and then you'd be charged on a cost per visit. It's kind of like a cost per click in paid search. So that's definitely something to look into if you're in marketing in term, and you've got retail locations, then definitely it's worth getting on the map and driving people to you, depending on your target audience and demographic, obviously. But people are being a bit more entrepreneurial with it already. So one pizza place in Queens in the US just bought a $10 um, power up, which attracted more Pokemon to their store. And they saw a 75% uplift in business. A huge cafe in Atlanta is between two poke stops. And so it's paying to place lures on them to make sure that lots of Pokemon are in the area. And then they're offering phone charging stations. They're offering a free steamed bun to anyone showing that they've captured Pokemon. I saw a great sign outside an optician that was saying, uh, if you're finding that your Pokemon are blurry, then we can take a peek at you. Love stuff like that. And then next Tuesday, T-Mobile in the US have uh, an app called T-Mobile Tuesdays, which offer various thank you gifts to their customers for their loyalty. And this week they're offering free unlimited data on Pokemon Go for a full year, plus lift rides up to $15 to get to a new poke stop or gym, a Wendy's Frosty to fuel up for your hunting trip, and then 50% off accessories, including portable power packs. So they've really embraced the fact that consumer behavior is that people are all over this, and obviously they have to use a phone. So great from T-Mobile to be getting people onto their network. Also, brands have been doing some little versions of it themselves. So Domino's did a cool little video in a tweet where it was actually pizzas that you were catching. Again, the link for that is on the companion page. So I think the learnings from this is when new stuff like this comes out, it's the people who are embracing it straight away and looking at how they can work with it in their business rather than businesses that have started to amend their signs saying toilets and Pokemon here are only for um, customers, which obviously is not the way to deal with the whole potential opportunity of footfall coming to your store. On to some more brands. So Disney have created a new app featuring short form social content so that social media is safer for children. So the app's called LOL and it's for, so LOL, it's for families and kids and it's got GIFs, videos, non-episodic content from Disney, Disney Pixar, Disney Channel. It's a free download. It's only in the US and Canada at the moment on iOS and Android. 
but they're looking at how they could start to bring ads to it as well, where Disney content creators would create the content on behalf of advertisers. I think it's a good way to make social media content more accessible to their younger audience, because obviously there are 13 year age gates on Facebook and stuff. So nice touch from Disney. And as soon as it's available in the UK, I will let you all know. Netflix have introduced a thing called Flix Tapes. So it's like a mixtape, but it's for your favorite Netflix. So you name it, you add whatever shows you want to to it, and then you can share it. Again, there's a link to that page on the companion page. I saw a really great campaign from Lidl this week called Lidl Surprises. Again, loving the pun. But what they've done is addressed people's concerns about the quality of their meat or their seafood. So looking at people who have previously expressed doubts on social media and then inviting them to come to the farm or to go out on the fishing boat. So I think this is a brilliant use of social listening. I tweeted about it and Little also replied saying we're glad you like it. So they get extra points for paying attention on social media and responding to people again the ads are on the companion page so check them out if you haven't seen them ghostbusters the new movie have been doing some brilliant experiential stuff this week at stations so you might have seen in waterloo and i think manchester piccadilly if you check the hashtag ghostbusters waterloo which i do struggle a bit with because it's very long but i you know they're starting from a uh, tricky position in that the word ghostbusters is long in itself but they've put stickers in waterloo on the floor to encourage you to stand in particular places to take selfies with the different works of art representing ghostbusters that they've got around the place so they've got slime coming down the cords that hold the security cctv cameras around the station and stuff and then they've got big screens showing all the posts that are using the ghostbusters waterloo hashtag so you can get that instant sort of payoff where you might see your post on the big screen at waterloo i took a few photos there last week and they're on the companion page just a little one on Nike. So they got caught out when they had photoshopped a pair of Nike trainers onto a guy in a picture from their running club that they put onto Instagram. And the guy picked them up on it and said he didn't have such trainers. And they have sent him a pair of trainers that he then posted a picture on Instagram saying, I'll be happy to wear these trainers at the next running club. I think they've done pretty well there getting away with that, to be honest. I think it was the least that they could do. But again, showing good two-way conversation within social media. And there's a link to the tweet about that on the companion page. Manchester City continue to be at the forefront of digital, it seems, in the Premier League. So they have relaunched their website and it's really been fan focused in terms of the way they created it so they've designed it on the principle of co-creation they've done lots of focus groups surveys prototypes user testing they've got a mobile first strategy so you'll be able to interact by swiping tapping clicking and they've got lots of new features such as city now which is a real-time feed of club news more video footage and members are also going to be able to create their own customized playlists with city tv really great advancements in terms of websites for football teams because they do tend to be quite static and all look like they're on the same template so it'll be interesting to see what sort of results they get from that and speaking of football i really try not to but i do love it uh, there's been quite a few kit launches over the last few weeks obviously in advance of the new season and social media has been used really well 
for those. So again, I've put a few examples on the companion page for the podcast on my website from Spurs and Southampton, but it's a great way that they can really use video and all their different social platforms to tease out a launch rather than it just being, here it is, it's in the shop, do you like it or not? So lots of conversation going on around all the different teams' kits. I'm uh, not sure about Sheffield Wednesday's new one, but I'm sure I will grow to love it. Just a couple more things on brands. So Virgin Trains, I was up in Birmingham at Aston University last week and I booked a Virgin train to get there. And they emailed me a couple of days before my journey encouraging me to download their new Beam app, which gives you in-train entertainment. I think it's a brilliant idea and it actually works really well. So I'm not sure if they're prioritizing their Wi-Fi to make sure that that works first, but it didn't buffer once on my whole journey back. The only problem was that Birmingham to Euston is 10 minutes too short to watch the whole of Despicable Me 2. I was trying to shut out the world and just have a happy film to watch. So I tweeted them when I got off the train saying that I'd love the service and they replied, you know, this was sort of nine o'clock at night. And I said, you know, you're gonna have to tell me how the film ends, I missed the last 10 minutes. Do they live happily ever after? And they replied saying, we can't possibly say, but yes, they do. And they'd used a, a Minions gif in the tweet as well. So brilliant example of really natural conversation with a customer on Twitter late on a Friday night. Again, I've put the link on the companion page. So check that out. I'm going off on the Eurostar tomorrow for some meetings in Paris. And they've also emailed me offering a similar thing with their app in terms of in-train entertainment. So I'll check that out and let you know what that's like as well. So that's the end of the roundup of news for this week. Each week I end the show with a short guide to a different topic. It might be something, how something works, or it might be delving into a particular buzzword. And this week I'm going to focus on the topic of a blog that I wrote recently, which is the anatomy of a like on social platforms. So if you are already a digital expert and you just wanted to know the news, then you can stop listening. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. And do let me know what you think of the show at Kate Hamer LTD on Twitter. For the rest of you still listening, if anybody is, it's always a bit strange recording this, then let's get cracking on the anatomy of a like. So I wrote this blog because I think it's really interesting. Obviously, as human beings, we all like to be liked. We say we don't care what people think, but I think for the most part we do. And so the phenomenon of liking stuff on social media has sort of brought this to the fore. And I think the like itself is evolving and is now being used in multiple ways. And that means we have to look at how we measure it from a business perspective and what that really means. So for Twitter, for example, last November, Twitter changed their star icon to a heart. And this was partly due to the evolution of the way that the star was being used. So when I first joined Twitter, I used the star as a way to store items that I liked or to save things for later. So if there was an article that I hadn't had time to read, for example. But as time went on, I started to use it to show agreement or solidarity with someone. So it means my likes are overflowing now. It's pretty tricky when I go in there to find anything I'm looking for. I would love to be able to categorize them so that I could search for things. And certainly with articles now, I'll add them to my reading list on my phone rather than just put them as a like. I also, even in preparing for this show each week, go through my likes and sort of unlike things if I don't want to keep them forever because I figure the person saw that I was showing solidarity at the time, but I don't necessarily need to keep it in my favourites forever. 
So in terms of what this means for business on Twitter, I think likes have been less important than retweets in terms of they don't necessarily help your reach. Although I have started to notice that there are tweets in my timeline now labeled as liked by X person. So maybe they will start to get you more exposure. But the main thing for me from a business perspective on Twitter is that likes help you to gauge the level of interest in your tweet and to help inform future posts. So test posts at different times of day because, you know, it could be that you get more likes at a particular time or on a particular day. But you can, if you're consistently not getting likes, then that's a pretty good indication that people aren't interested in what you're doing. So that is how I would be using likes from a Twitter perspective. In terms of Facebook, earlier this year, Facebook added reactions. So this was to give users a series of emotions to choose from rather than just the thumbs up, which made sense because, you know, if people were talking about missing their grandma, you wouldn't want to put a thumbs up. And now you can put a sad face or you can put a laughing face, a heart, etc. So it gives you more opportunity to engage with a post without posting a comment. So again, for businesses, being able to see this range of reactions and the volume of likes helps you to assess how successful your post was, but also getting these likes is gonna help you get into more people's feeds because the more people interacting with your post, that signals to Facebook that people are interested and so they're more likely to show them more of the stuff that they're interested in. But as I often say, I would always recommend paid posts on Facebook as well to really amplify what you're doing. In terms of Instagram, I've always said that likes are relatively easy on Instagram. So if you think about how you use the platform, you just scroll in through pictures in a list and a little click on the heart isn't hard to do. So getting hundreds of likes is not necessarily indicative of the quality of the post, but it might be more how the user feels about you or your account overall. So comments on the picture, especially if people are adding in their friends to highlight it to them, I would say are much more valuable in terms of brand equity. It's obviously hard to measure regrams at the moment. I think the sooner Instagram introduce a regram button, the better, because there's a whole host of apps and some people still do screenshots and post it. But I think having said that, Likes are easy to get, but there are different kinds of users on the platform and some are more choosy than others. So Instagram is very much about the curation of your grid and the image that you give out. And I think there are some users who are equally selective about the pictures they like. So it's only them who can see the grid that the pictures they like create. And when I look at my post you've liked, it's just a higgledy-piggledy mess of beautifully shot landscapes, inspirational quotes, my mate's kids because I'm using the heart not just to say I like a picture, but maybe to agree with what they've written underneath or to say well done for whatever they're doing in the picture. You know, I've finally gone to the gym. It might be a picture of dumbbells, but I'm liking it because they've finally gone to the gym. So depending on your target demographic and the content that you post, it might be harder to get likes. So you just need to think about that. And then the final platform that I was going to talk about is Snapchat. So I have been trying to use Snapchat more. I'm not a millennial and uh, I do struggle a bit with it. And I think the problem for me is that it doesn't have the like option. So you don't have that two-way engagement on a universal scale. Yeah, you can chat backwards and forwards with individuals when you're putting content out in your story, but all you know is who looked at it. So you don't know what they thought or what they did as a result. I think there's some interesting content being added to the platform from publishers and they've got some great ways of encouraging people to share it with their friends 
but I think analytics still need to build out considerably for Snapchat so that more businesses can use it. I think I'm not happy about just sort of posting out into the void and never really knowing how it was digested. So overall, in terms of likes, you can't game the system. You need to create stuff that people are genuinely going to like. So you need to understand your audience and your brand, and then you need to find the common ground between the two. Think about your personal social accounts. So you wouldn't necessarily put the first selfie that you take on Instagram. You'd make sure it was the very best representation. And so you need that same approach when you're posting any content for your business. The other thing is don't just post for posting sake. Don't think, oh, I've not posted anything for a week. I better post something. Make sure that it's something that is really going to interest your followers or enhance their experience in some way on the platform. So that is it for this week's digital download. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you found it useful. Do let me know, tweeting at KateHamerLTD or emailing kate at katehamer.com. And I will be back again next week. Thanks, bye.